Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host Nick Zoraris and have a very good episode for you guys today. Nice guest, someone from the fabulous world of Formula One to talk about this season so far while we wait for the next race on the calendar, which is this upcoming weekend, the Hungarian Grand Prix. But before I get to today's conversation with Lena, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Trying to pump out as much content as possible. The blog that I wrote for Gotham SN didn't get up yet. Fine-tuning it in the editing process. Going back and forth with my fabulous editor on how we can fine-tune it and make it perfect for you guys out there in the world. If you're not following the blog at Gotham SN on Twitter, you really, really should be. If you're not following this podcast's feed on whatever podcasting platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, please, please, please support your content creators. We are all busting our asses to try and make you guys a little bit smarter, entertain you guys, just trying to help elevate the discourse a little bit every day. If you're on any of those platforms, throw the show a follow. If you're using Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility. On the show's homepage, there is a purple button at the bottom. It says, write a review. Above that, there are five clear stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. That really helps the show out. The more reviews we get, the more likely other people are to find the show and help grow the conversation. And for today's show... We are discussing the Formula One season and what makes it such a compelling sport because there's something different about Formula One from every other sport, even other auto racing series that I I don't feel the same about it as NASCAR and as IndyCar when I've sparingly watched IndyCar or the NASCAR season, but there's something about Formula One that is just so overly dramatic, that is so compelling as a viewer and just as a person who loves sports. And it really made today's conversation fun because my guest today, someone halfway across the world, but we both look at it the same way where it's just, wow, every single time there is a Grand Prix, you never know what you are going to see. And that's a universal language, and it's part of why Formula One translates so well to so many people, even people who aren't huge sports fans, because there's just something innate about cars going 200 miles an hour and the people driving those cars and the people who make the decisions about those cars that makes for fascinating television. With all of that said, I will see you guys in one second with Lena. Enjoy this drop. Pierre Gasly is in front for the Alpha Tauri team that won here at Toro Rosso. And they are going to win in 2020 as Alpha Tauri. Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix. Oh my, oh my. And with that, as promised, it's been a while since we've had some Formula One discussion on the show. Hasn't been since the week before the first race of the season in Bahrain, the new season of Drive to Survive dropped. I talked about it with one of my friends, but today went off into the very interesting world of Formula One Twitter for today's guest. How are you doing, Lena? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. You have a very unique following and presence on Twitter, and it's why I reached out to you to have you on to talk about this, because 
there's something about sports that we're drawn to we're attached to and you can kind of make part of your identity and so you're a lot of the identity i've seen of you on twitter is tied directly to pierre gasly to uh uh, alfatari and um the formula one team so i gotta ask first how do you get so deep into it that becomes your main online presence how do you get that emotionally connected to it what clicked for you yeah honestly i'm not even sure about that myself because (laughs) somehow i just ended up um like i started watching f1 and uh i actually only knew uh charles a bit better and was always rooting for charles but um one day I was just like yeah I don't know like Pierre's kind of a cool guy and I like to see him succeed in this sport and then I talked more about him on my account and I um, connected with some other people on F1 Twitter about it and somehow I don't know I just started watching interviews and shared them on my account and like started talking about him more and I don't know it, it suddenly became my brand for some reason <laughs> and I mean I enjoyed it would you would you say you're a sports person in general or is it mostly just formula one for you that's your sports Um, interest yeah it's mostly just f1 at this point um i do watch a bit of football every now and then but it's not really like i don't know that much about football so it's just mainly my focus is mainly on f1 so what would you say the type of fan you are is are you optimistic pessimistic or are you realistic about watching formula one well, I don't know if it's a thing, but I would call myself an optimistic realist. Okay. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, I always think like everything's going to go fine. And I believe in like my favorite driver here and I think he's going to do well. But, you know, sometimes you just know that there's some things that you can't get past. Like when he doesn't really deliver good um, results in qualifying, it makes sense that he maybe can't get those positions again. So, so, yeah, going off of that, so I, this is one of the things we talked about before we got recording here. So would you say you're more focused on how Pierre is doing? Are you more focused on how the overall race is going and just I want to see something really cool happen today or some combination of the two? Yeah, I would say probably even a combination. I mean, I noticed this, I noticed this when I was uh, at the race myself um, because Pierre's race in Austria was ruined in the first lap. Yeah. And I couldn't really enjoy the rest of the race anymore. <laughs> but it was somehow like if there's um good things happening to other drivers, I really like I it just somehow like it makes up um for it a bit. But my focus is mainly on Pierre and Alfatori, I would say. Yeah, for because for me, I, as someone who kind of just dropped in, who didn't really have a ton of emotional or rooting interest in the sport when I got introduced to it last year, because, you know, there was the pandemic and there was racing and golf. Those were the only two things to watch for a while. So I just kind of dropped in and it was like, this is really cool. I just want to see something crazy happen every single week. And for a while last year, we had some really weird things exactly. happen. You had... You had Lewis finish Silverstone on three tires. You had Pierre win at Monza. You had really a really crazy run of things happen last year where it was just like, 
all right, this is part of my schedule. I'm getting up whatever time the race is. Like there was the race that was in what Turkey last year that started at five o'clock Eastern yeah. time in the United States, where I was up at five in the morning texting in my group chat. I'm like, is anyone else up watching this? And begrudgingly there were replies. And yeah, it's that kind of thing where anything can happen. That race too, the race in Turkey in the wet was crazy where Lance started on the yeah. pole, wrecked out yeah. and Seb finished on the podium because he passed Lance on the last lap. Just anything can happen and i think that's part of what makes racing so much more exhilarating than maybe some other sports for some people and i think it's interesting that i bring i brought up here winning at monza because that was really the first moment that kind of the sport resonated with me as just you know an observer without a rooting interest of like wow it's just seeing him sitting up there on the podium by himself with the confetti falling just kind of looking around and taking it all in and you're just like wow the sports are really cool sometimes yeah. just like this is what yeah. this is why you watch sports for things like this yeah exactly i mean it was kind of the same situation for me um i have always known about f1 and like my family doesn't live or like a part of my family doesn't live far away from rebel ring so i kind of grew up with uh, people in my family watching it but i was never too interested in it myself but uh then suddenly uh that september when monza happened i was like you know what i'm gonna watch the race today and well that's where the whole journey kind of started <laughs> yeah that that that's your inciting moment that was you're like okay yeah this is my thing now I, i'm going to make this my entire personality because it is so freaking yeah. fun. <laughs> as a sports person i entirely empathize with it so let let's start with unpacking a little bit of pierre's journey because i think it's one of the more well-known things to people who are a little bit more casual because of what a role it played in drive to survive which was a lot of people at least in the united states's entrance to formula one because i watched that before i ever watched a race because that was out and there weren't races yeah. last year because the season started late so i kind of got the impression that pierre was this kid who just kind of never really had any confidence in himself and never really got off the ground when he started that season at red bull and got whatever it was like 10 10 or 11 races into the season and i felt like that really wasn't the case once you know i actually started watching the races and i kind of understood how overly dramatized it was on the show so starting with that the whole seat swap and that kind of that part of pierre's story is it fair to say that you just kind of feel like that was un outright unfair that 10 races 11 races into a season the first time he's driving on one of the main teams he gets pulled from his seat just nothing he can do about it just an unfair situation yeah, I definitely think it is an unfair situation because, I mean, 10 races, it is a bit early. And, I mean, we know this about Red Bull. They like to promote drivers entirely to their to their main team. And honestly, like, with Max next to him, the expectations were really high. And it, it, he just didn't have the time to grow in the team. And, I mean, you can see how well he's doing at AlphaTauri. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the funny thing about it is as soon as he went back to AlphaTauri, he cut he got it back together, whatever it was. There's some kind of hex on that second Red Bull seat. Whoever's in it just has a terrible run of luck. I mean, poor Alex Albon last year, every single race, they would just make god awful decisions with the tires and screw him over. And it'd be like, well, Max finished on the podium. It's OK. I guess we'll figure out with Alex. And 
another per- I mean, Chico's doing pretty well in that seat so far this year. He's firmly in the mix. And part of the reason Red Bull is in the lead in constructors right now is that they've gotten consistent performance out of that seat. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because you would probably understand it a little bit more than me, is the dynamic of the teammates is... Do you think it's beneficial to have two teammates who are on an even footing who are, can directly compete with each other and push each other? Or do you think it's better for teams to have the driver A, driver B kind of situation where it's Max, the wonder boy that Red Bull puts everything around, and we're going to try and develop someone to be his wingman, and if they don't live up to that expectation, we're going to move on very quickly? Because compared to what other sports do in terms of how they put their team together, I don't understand why you wouldn't just try and get the two best drivers you possibly can. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw that happen with uh, Rosberg and Hamilton back then in yeah. Mercedes. It was pretty hard in the team itself. But I think um, they got a good shot with Checo, to be honest, because Checo is uh, a more experienced driver. He's older. He's he's not like Pierre, for example. Pierre is coming to a point with a lot of different expectations than Checo because Pierre's still like young and there's still a possibility for him someday maybe win a world championship, you never know. Um, and Checo, he's, he, I think he just sees things differently than most young drivers. And I think they have a good job with him at Red Bull as their second driver and more like Max is the golden kid and yeah. Checo is delivering good results for the team, but also getting uh, good wins or good results. It's because re- it's very different from what we see in pretty much every other sport, the way Formula One operates with the way they just kind of throw people to the curb like Ferrari made such a big deal all those years ago about it getting Seb because he won all those titles at Red Bull and then they were just kind of like at the end of the last season, we don't want you anymore. It's fine. We'll get someone else and it's just it's so alien to me compared to every other sport, whether you talk about American sports, you talk about soccer, it's just so different from everything else where you put all this time, effort and resources into someone. And then you just abruptly move on from them. Like Pierre was in Red Bull's feeder system. Like he was a developmental driver from their team. You put all this time and resources into him. Wouldn't it have made sense for you to try and ride it out with him or to ride it out with Alex Albon a little more than just, all right, it didn't work next to keep, and you're just churning through people and you're never really going to make any progress. And while Chico is doing a good job for them this season, I don't know if he's a long-term answer to being Max's number two. Yeah, yeah, same. It's just like like we talked about this earlier, um, the second seed, it's just ever since Daniel Ricciardo has left Red Bull, I mean, yeah. it's been going up and down and I don't really know what, what this curse is is honestly but it's it's kind of scary to see how every single person they put in that seat is somehow having bad luck and yeah. i mean it, at some point um like people like christian horner and hamlet marco have to question themselves like are they doing something wrong obviously because it can't be a coincidence right yeah i mean we saw it last year specifically because i i I vividly remember because I'm more I was more familiar with the way NASCAR stuff is with the pit stops and that kind of thing and the strategy and I was just 
that doesn't make sense. Why would you pull him this early to change his tires when you know that he's not going to have enough left in that change of tires to finish the race on that? Why would you do that to him? And, well, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do for Max later. Well, you're trying to win a Constructors here, too. So I, I just don't understand why you would think so narrowly. I, I understand they've built their entire brand around Max is the wonder kid. He's going to beat Lewis someday. But... You do have another seat there you can't be neglecting you only have 20 of those in the whole world and just kind of throwing one away for we want to see if what we can do with max just kind of seems like a waste yeah yeah i agree it's just the focus is way too much on max and yeah. they should start like just i don't know like i don't even know um how or like why this is happening i don't even know anymore i mean they should definitely i don't know just rethink the whole strategy for every year because i mean it's kind of a joke because um i mean this is pretty personal opinion but hamlet marco is out there destroying careers kind of he's a scary so, man he's know. a scary man yeah <laughs> yeah I, I can i can say that because i've seen him in real life <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good no, way to transition yeah. That's a good way to transition yeah. to talking about the 2021 season. So we'll start there and then we'll work our way back. So you went to both rounds at the Austria in Austria, right? The Styrian yeah. and then the Austria Grand Prix. So the first one, exactly. like you mentioned before, Pierre wrecks out first lap, not his fault in the slightest bit. That was just unfortunate. So let's start with the obvious. What's it like being at a Grand Prix on a Sunday? How exciting is that? What what are the emotions like of that as a fan? Yeah, I think if you've never experienced this life, you, you can't even imagine it. Like, it's insane how uh, big the whole thing actually is, like the whole circus, if I can call it like that. Um, just amazing. The emotions, like all the fans coming together and cheering for the favorite team, for the favorite driver. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. And I wish everyone could experience it someday. What's something that when you're at a race you don't think about that you would be thinking about if you were watching it on TV, if you get what I mean, that because you're there, what are you thinking about differently because you're there as opposed to when you're watching it at home? Well, honestly, one thing that um, comes to my mind is how fast these cars actually are, because you can't see it on the TV from many angles, how fast they actually go are going. But when you, but, um, at the second race at the Austrian Grand Prix, I was sitting a, uh, um, on the opposite side of the pit lane and it's insane how fast these cars are going by like you can't even see who is the driver sometimes because it just don't catch it and that it just doesn't seem that fast on tv to be honest a tv <laughs> so that's, doesn't that's funny it's it's very true because tv doesn't do it justice because it doesn't look like they're going that fast on TV. And then, you know, you watch like the onboard yeah. on YouTube with like, you know, someone with a GoPro on their chest. And it's like, I wouldn't be able to see my eyes would be closed because the wind would be blowing so hard in my face. It, it wouldn't be doable. And it's one of those yeah. things where it's one of those weird things you don't think about when you're watching it on TV, because it doesn't look that fast on TV. They look like little toys going around on a miniature track, like what you have as a little kid. And in person, I can't even imagine. It's on the list. It's on the list of things I need to do. It is on the list. So now that we've kind of unpacked your personal experience for this season, going through how this season has played out so far, are you surprised at all how strong Red Bull has been because of how inconsistent and weird they were last year? Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, I can say that. 
actually already um or also because of uh, the honda power unit also in the yeah. laboratory insanely fast and also <laughs> very nice sound in real life um yeah i mean i think it's exciting to see a more tight battle between the top two teams I mean, personally, I like Mercedes and Lewis more, but I like to have an exciting battle until one of the very last races, maybe. So I think this is probably also gonna um, like create more fans and like makes people wanna watch it more again because the past few years it was always Lewis dominating. People are just so bored of it. So maybe now it's getting more interesting again too. So I like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Because last year, as my entry point into it, I was like, so Lewis Hamilton just wins every single week. Okay, that's good to know. And you kind of figure it out. And it's like, all right, his teammate Valtteri wins every now and then too. And then they let Max win once in a while. And then you have like the two unpredictable races where you have a Pierre win and you have a Chico win. And that was more or less the season last year. And it's been dramatically different this year where We've seen because they went back to the street circuits this year, which they didn't run last year. We've seen teams like Ferrari have slightly better runs. Ferrari's been a lot more consistent this year. McLaren has been very impressive this year. Lando has really impressed me considering Lando, like, you know, as a child, Lando's like a high school, not a high school, a college junior. And, you know, he's sitting in fourth in the driver's championship, which is kind of crazy yeah. to me. So in terms of the overall season so far, how do you feel about it? Are you, are you enjoying what we've had so far? Or is there anything that we got this year that we didn't have last year that's been more exciting, more frustrating? Yeah, honestly, I just love how uh, predictable some races are, or like even the qualifying. It's like, it's just so unpredictable, um, especially the Q3, um, yeah. who's gonna be on the top four five and it's just way more um enjoyable to watch and exciting because you, it's not clear who's gonna be on the podium every race you know i mean what when when leclerc qualified first for monaco and then wrecked his car with like six seconds left in q3 i was thinking to myself all right Ferrari will take the five, the 10 place grid penalty to replace the power unit and they'll get, they'll try and get him from 11th to like eighth to get some points tomorrow. And they really tried to put that car in the field with a destroyed power unit. And they really thought they were going to run a race with a car that clearly wasn't able to run. And we, you talked about it before with Red Bull. It's just what goes through your mind to make that decision? Why wouldn't you try to change the power unit and take the grid penalty and at least try and get some points as opposed to only running run car especially considering you know your car is doing well on that track because carlos finished in second and charles qualified p1 so just like you said it's so unpredictable yeah exactly i mean sometimes um uh the strategies are just crazy like we've seen it especially for example in imola when they sent yeah. out Pierre <laughs> with very questionable tires when it was uh, raining a bit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it just, you know, that's what makes the sport interesting too. Like all the different strategies and um, surprises like rain and where everything, where everyone just has to rethink. And it's, it's sometimes also luck that plays with it, you know? 
Oh, oh, that's a huge part of any sport, but in this sport especially, because weird things happen. You get the random tire puncture because there's something on the track. You hit a curb wrong, and your car bounces, and you destroy the floor. It's just, the, there are so many variables that go into a race that when a race goes off without anything weird, it's kind of like, wow, nobody wrecked anyone, no punctures, no bad decisions, all 20 cars finish the race. It's weird when that happens. It's almost a pleasant surprise when you get a normal race. I mean, there was that one race last year that had like three separate red flags where Charles got wrecked, Ricardo got wrecked, I think Valtteri got wrecked. Just, I think that might have been, I think that might have been Imola or one of the other tracks in Italy, but just a very, very tumultuous and stressful sport for someone like you who's like emotionally invested in this how stressful is it watching pierre on a sunday it is very stressful um also on the saturday to be honest when it comes to qualifying just is he gonna make it to q3 because like last race we or like yeah last race we saw it it's not that obvious um honestly it's just it's just stressful when you only have one driver you cheer on uh, a lot Mm -hmm. because it's it's all your happiness on that day (laughs) or for me at least um depends on that one driver's performance and yeah it's, it's stressful but um i mean if he gets on the podium it's even better because when he got on the podium in azerbaijan i was crying (laughs) it was it was overwhelming and i was so happy um but yeah like that's just how the sport is for me and then there comes there comes up with twitter of course we interact with other fans and become discussions and that's a whole, a whole other thing but yeah it's playing with my emotions a lot <laughs> that's one of the advantages i have as someone who's not overly emotionally invested it's just like I love watching Lewis race because Lewis is one of the best to ever do it. And it's just genuinely amazing. Some of the things he's able to do on old tires. I love Daniel Ricardo because he's hysterical. Lando is very funny. Charles and Pierre both have the brooding Frenchman face where it's like, I have the weight of my entire life on my shoulders every single race and I need to do well to honor my family type thing. There, there are just so many of those little underlying things where it's like, no matter what, I'm going to have a great time on a Sunday. Like even getting to watch like, you know, George try and make make it to Q3 on a Saturday is like that's a highlight of a week if there's a race that week and it's like I want to see George make it to Q3 and see if he can finally get that first point there the little underlying stories where it, it sounds simple to reduce it to like characters in a story but it's that kind of thing you have the the plucky young guy who wants to prove himself you have the established hero who all right i've done it before can i do it again and it all makes it so compelling and it's why the show translates so well to drive to survive is this is a melodramatic sport you do have christian and toto acting like children arguing with each other and there's something innate about it that the sport is just it's so freaking dramatic. Like these are grown men. And as soon as someone does something they don't like, they go run to the stewards. They did They did something I didn't like that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And I don't know what it is, but it makes for a very entertaining experience as a fan. I don't know. Have you in- watched Drive to Survive? Yes, yeah. I have, I have. Yeah, no, I'm just curious because you're, you were more immersed in the sport before watching the show. Whereas I was the other way around. I was just like, Oh, these are all like 
drama queens like this is all like one big melodrama where everybody hates each other and they constantly are trying to one-up each other and it comes off across like the real housewives of monaco sometimes yeah yeah exactly it just it's just like uh i don't know like a reality show or like yeah um, a team <laughs> it's just entertaining at times to be honest like to see what the hell is going on again and how are these people working in these positions when they're acting like child, uh, like children? Like, it's it's funny sometimes, truly. I mean, we saw it in Silverstone yeah. with Toto, with Christian. It was a big mess, honestly. Like, sometimes just unbelievable, but I guess it's, it is what it is. So, yeah. That's just part I, I, I mean, I was watching the post race and Christian was talking like Max died. Like, I understand he went to the <laughs> hospital and like he, he was shook up, but like he didn't die. He's going to race in three weeks in Hungary. Now, like that's this weekend coming up. But I, there's levels to this. I, like, I just it's fascinating because part of it is acting and playing it up because as the team principal, they are kind of the public spokesperson. They have to talk to the media. They have to be the the line of communication from the top whether it's uh, whether it's the ownership whether it's the corporate people it's they have to be the public face of the team to everybody else so when christian does do things like that and be way way too dramatic it it just makes things so much more entertaining i, I know i keep yeah. circling back to talking about how entertaining and like dramatic this sport is but it really is so much more dramatic than everything else there's i think part of it is also just the inherent danger of it is you know, someone actually could die if something goes wrong. And the fact that that is happening while you have grown men acting like children, it, it it translates so well. And I think it's part of why it's resonated so well, especially as a reality show. Even though Netflix calls it a documentary series, it is a reality show. Yeah, it truly is. I mean, you have the, um, the problematic people yeah, yeah, like Christian, Mazepin, yeah. yeah. Always, yeah, exactly. Always up for drama, and it's it's entertaining to watch. Like a lot of people always say that um, DTS is obviously like pushing this whole dram dramatic thing, and like um, especially also on Twitter, like the whole com community being over dramatic. But it kind of just comes with the sport, to be honest. Like, yeah, I have to be honest here. It's just, it's, it's just, it's that way. <laughs> It really is. So of the season so far, what sticks out with you the most? What are you going to remember down the road at the end of the season, a few years from now? What are you going to remember from the 2021 season so far? What sticks out definitely, in your memory? Yeah, definitely, first of all, um, the tight battle between Mercedes and Red Bull already. Um, how Max and Red Bull um, are dominating right now. <laughs> like Yeah. That's something that's different from the previous seasons. Um, and also, obviously, um, Pierre getting on that podium again. I think I will remember everything he does that is um, a success. So, yeah, definitely those two things the most. That was a crazy race. Baku this year was insane. Just the tires yeah. just totally falling apart on people. The, Lewis try, Lewis's brakes being so on fire, he couldn't stop going into turn one. Just that race was absolutely insane. And it's a good thing yeah. they got the street the street circuits back on the schedule this year because the calendar missing them last year, it was noticeable. And 
there there's something about them that makes them a little bit more equal than the closed circuit tracks where the faster cars can kind of just pull away from everyone else whereas the street circuits it kind of compresses the competition a little bit and it made for a really exciting race so i'm definitely going to be remembering baku i'm gonna remember lewis winning at silverstone after max winning three and a half what was it four three races in a row and then he yeah. blew out at baku so yeah he won three in a row and it would have been four in a row if he didn't blow his tire out at baku and just lewis keeping himself in the mix like yes he would still be significantly further behind in the points if max didn't wreck out because max probably would have finished on the podium probably just a safe assumption but that sticks out I'm going to remember that weird run of races where Ferrari got really, really good results on Saturday and put themselves in the mix for Sunday. I'm going to remember Leclerc not being able to start Monaco. I'm also really curious to see if that midfield battle between McLaren and Ferrari stays as competitive as it's been because neither of these teams was this good last season they've both kind of taken dramatic steps i mean ferrari last year was kind of a joke where they were just not even getting in top tens let alone podiums yeah yeah especially um like mclaren is doing insanely good especially with lando this season and i hope that daniel is catching up again um but it's super interesting to have a tighter midfield battle going on like last year it was the same kind of now with um, McLaren and Racing Point and even sometimes Renault. And um, I'm not following the whole, um, the gaps, like the point gaps between the teams a lot because I'm mainly focusing on Pierre and Alfa like I said. But I mean, it's, it's just really interesting um, to not have the clear result of the top five, I would say, in the constructors until one of the very last races. It definitely makes it more engaging because you're more inclined to keep watching as the season develops. One thing that we can touch on here while we're talking about it, on a week-to-week basis, what's your expectation for Pierre? Get to Q3 on Saturday and then try and get into the points on Sunday? That's your reasonable frame? Yeah, definitely. Um, at least uh, get some points. Like That's just what I want for him and for the team, to be honest. I mean... That he got that podium in Baku was insane, and I am really, really happy about that. And it would be amazing to see him again on the podium this year, of course. Um, but um, anything like any point is good for Alfatori, I know that. And yeah, honestly, the the Q three and the points is the main thing I'm focusing on. How do you balance your expectations of, I want to see my favorite driver do extremely well, but he also doesn't drive for the best team and the best car? How do you balance that internally? Well, see, I, t- I just, um, I'm happy with any little success that he makes. And even if he has a bad or like no points, like um, the previous races, we've had that. Um, he still has good races, like he makes up a lot of positions, it's often just the luck, like um, last race, where he had um, also a, a tire, um, what's it called? <laughs> um, uh, puncture? Puncture, <laughs> yeah. yeah. When he had a puncture, um, you know, it, you just can't control these things. Um, and he still had an amazing race and uh, 
also in Austria, he overtook a lot of people and I'm proud of um, just seeing him do these things, even though he doesn't really get points or anything for that in the end. It's just amazing to watch. So, Would you like to see him eventually move on to a bigger and more competitive team? Or do you think this is a good spot for him based on where he's at in his development as a driver? Honestly, um, I mean, I don't know about AlphaTauri and how they're going to um, be in the next few years. But if they're going to stay like how they are right now, I would love to see Pierre go to a bigger or better team um, one day, at least. Like, just give him the chance to win more races, to be on the podium even more often. I don't really know where I could see him at this point, to be honest. Um, I think there's some pretty nice um, options that would fit him. I mean, a lot of people will talk about Alpine, which mm -hmm. would be interesting to see. Also, some people <laughs> come up with the idea of um, Mercedes. <laughs> um, yeah, why not? But <laughs> I guess... I'm happy if he's happy and if he has nice races and nice results. So, yeah. Yeah, because you see the glimmers of it. There, Every couple of races, he has the really good runs like we've been talking about where he does overtake a bunch of positions. He comes from 13th into the mid middle of the pack and does really flashy things, the things you, you that are noticeable when you're watching on TV where it's like, oh, wow, he really outbreaked that person and got around the hairpin before they did. The kind of things that, you know, someone closer to the back of the grid wouldn't be able to do. I mean, after all... Red Bull promoted him to their main team when he was, what, 22 years old? And he's still pretty young in the landscape of drivers. He's only, what, 24 now? 23, something like that? He's 25. 25, 25 yeah. yeah. He's still a young driver in the grand scheme of things. So he's got time to grow for the rest of his career. A lot of drivers, it does take them a couple of seats, a couple of uh, teams to really find their niche, who and what kind of driver they are, whether that's, I'm a mid-pack guy, I can make the points most weeks, I can push for podiums most weeks, or I can drive for a driver's championship. Yeah, exactly. I think also Pierre has already proven that he's a good driver, and even if he like wouldn't get a seat for a year or two, he, he definitely would be able to come to the sport one day, I would think. Um, just because everyone in the sport knows that he's able to perform really well and get that up for two positions where you don't even think it would go so yeah i'm i'm seeing it pretty optimistic that pierre is going to do great in his future and it and i think he's going to do amazing things still even if it's maybe not with Alphatori, not with red bull it doesn't really matter to be honest just i think he's going to have a great rest of the career and that's one of the really exciting things about rooting for someone who's younger is you still get to watch the entire rest of their career because he's still pretty new to the sport. He's only been in F1 for three, four seasons now, so he's got plenty of time to grow and you get to see the rest of that journey where he did start out as a young guy on a B team. He got promoted. He got bumped back down. You get to see the continuation of that journey. And it ties back to what I was talking about before with the character arcs, where it sounds silly comparing them to like characters on a movie or a show, but it that's what makes sports great is that these are dramatic character arcs, but these are people's actual lives. And you get to see them 
deal with the struggles and the difficulties they have in their career but you also get to see them succeed you get to see guys make the podium and how much it means to them in those moments like chico winning the last race of last season where he just was absolutely bawling on the podium holding the trophy because he was so happy and you realize what a difficult season it was for him at racing point last season and just how much it means to these guys and i think that's another thing that really resonates with us as fans is you can see it on their faces how much it means to them when they do win. Yeah, especially also even on their social medias when they share and yeah, I mean, you you can just tell and it's it's an amazing um, thing to watch as a fan um, how emotional this sport actually is. To be honest, it's amazing. Yeah. So as we start to get towards the last part of the conversation, looking ahead to the rest of this season. So let's start with the obvious. Do you think that Red Bull can hold off Mercedes? Well, to be honest, I don't think anyone can really tell, but I think it's going to be a very, very tight battle until probably one of the last races. And I honestly um, just maybe hope it's going to switch up a bit, you know, like, for some races, um, Mercedes is gonna um, dominate, like um, be on top of the constructors and, and the drivers' championship with Lewis, and then it's gonna be Max. Just so you, you just don't know until the very last, and who is it gonna be? And I mean, I think Mercedes is gonna have a very hard time for the rest of the season, and they're gonna have to give it everything to be on top again. Yeah. But, yeah, I do believe in Mercedes. <laughs> I hope I they're going to win then again. It's really hard to not think Lewis is going to figure it out. I mean, th- this is what he does. He He's the best, probably the best to ever do this. It's hard to figure he's not going to get into a good groove here, especially after winning at yeah. Silverstone, kind of riding the ship because he had a few rough races there where he was finishing off of the podium and getting back into the groove, finding your sweet spot of what you need to do as a driver. So next, what do you think the rest of the season is going to look like for Pierre? Well, hopefully he's going to recover from these past races and get good points again. And like I said, maybe another podium would be amazing. I mean, we saw what happened at Monza last year. Maybe we're going to go close again. (laughs) (laughs) It would be amazing. But yeah, I think it's, it's... I, I'm optimistic about Pierre's um, rest of the season, to be honest, that it's going to be a good one for him and he's going to recover from these past um, unlucky races for him. I, I mean, yeah. looking at the, the driver's standings here, I mean, he's in the mix with some really good names here. I mean, he's in the same boat as Seb, who's won multiple titles. He's Fernando, who's won multiple titles. Ricardo, who's won a bunch of races, and with the two Ferrari drivers, I mean, he's in good company here. He's having a pretty solid yeah. season for someone driving for a B team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you you cannot complain about anything here, especially Ben, like me. Um, <laughs> it's amazing what he does with that Ferrari, um, just dragging it to the points almost every race, or like uh, let's say to Q three almost every qualifying. Um, yeah, amazing what he gets out of that car, to be honest. Of the races left this season, what circuit are you looking forward to the most? Honestly, um, 
the Italian Grand Prix just because it's where it all started for me and amazing memories with Pierre and yeah that's probably one of my favorites just because yeah. of that. Monza's a great circuit. I love Spa too. Just the the tracks the sport is really meant for and you can see that it's meant for it because some of these circuits have been kind of uncompetitive this year. Like Portugal was pretty uncompetitive. France is usually pretty uncompetitive where once a car gets in front of the pack, it's pretty much impossible to overtake them. So it makes for it makes things more exciting when the race isn't over 25 laps in. It, it, it's better when the race goes to the end of the road, where you have to see what happens in those races where, okay, it's going to come down to six laps to go. There's about a two-second gap. The person in second is about making up about half a second a lap. They have a chance at doing this, and you get to go for that dramatic overtake at the end, and it makes things just so much better. Yeah, it's just good for um to have more tracks like these to be honest and maybe get rid of um tracks like they they're gonna get rid of sochi right um yeah who well that's just not really exciting races and has never been in the past or not a lot to be honest um yeah like i think it's an important part for the sport to uh include more race or like more tracks like these like istanbul um yeah. also portimao good like always good races and just exciting and just helps the sport be more um, interesting to watch overall, I'd say. So on the horizon are some pretty big changes where they're going to be making the, the cars more uniform, that each team's car is going to be pretty similar. Do you think that trying to make all of the teams compete on a fair ground with a similar shaped car, not quite as restrictive as what it's like in the American motorsports, whether you're talking about NASCAR or IndyCar, and then having the budget limits too, where the teams can only spend a certain amount of money. Do you think that's a good thing that all of the teams are going to kind of be forced into a more equal footing? Or do you think it's better that the best team wins more often than not because they put the most into it? Well, honestly, I think for, um, the drivers it's nice because you know their performance and how good they are as a driver is what counts the most and or like a lot more than it does now because you know you can be an amazing outstanding driver like George and that Williams but it just wouldn't never be enough to get him on the podium for example like even in the points you know but um, if they you know if they're all somewhat close to each other it's just much even more unpredictable who's gonna win and you can just more clearly see is that a good driver or is that a good car you know like they always say with Lewis for example some people which is say that Lewis is good because of his good car you know they could put Lewis in anything and I think he would be pretty fast to be honest he's kind of a lunatic yeah. with that where he there's like 30 laps to go my tires are shot Bono no they're not Lewis you're gonna win the race we know you're gonna win the race you don't have to lie to us <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it, it's one of those things where he just kind of has that innate sense of how to drive the tires where they'll show the graphic on tv during the race where it's like yeah all three of his tires are still green even though they're 26 laps old well yeah no one else can do that that's why he wins all these races he's just that much better than everyone else and to your point about the driver in the car 
we saw George in a good car last year. George can dr drive the hell out of a good car. And I hope he gets that opportunity, to be honest, because like you said, he's a really talented driver. And it would be nice to see more of the skill gap being about the driver as opposed to who's got the best car. Yeah, exactly. It just, it seems like um, a fairer, or like more fair to the drivers and their careers to have this opportunity to actually be able to win if you are an outstanding and great driver, you know? And it'll be better for us as people on watching on TV. There won't be the, you know, the 35 second gaps between second and 12th because there's two cars holding up the entire line. That, that's one of my yeah, favorite true. things every single Sunday where it'll be, it'll be Charles in like fourth and there's an entire line of cars directly behind him, but he won't let the person behind him overtake them. And we just go into the limbo of, okay, there's going to be three cars in competition for this race because one person is holding up the line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. somewhat yeah, crazy, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. how, how big these gaps actually are in the races. So so wrapping up the conversation here, so I think it's worth circling back around to talk about this. What is it about Pierre that is so sympathetic, alluring? Because I understand it because like I, I'm obviously not as passionate of a fan as you are, but I, I understand why, because whenever I hear him talk, it's just like he's just so happy to be here. He, he is having a terrific time driving this car. What is it about Pierre yeah, that's just exactly. so... I think... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think um, what connected me the most um, was the whole story, you know? Like, he came to Formula One, he got promoted to Red Bull, um, had a miserable time there, and everyone just thought he's, like, trash, he's a bad driver. And he, like Antoine said, you know, he proved them wrong and all, everything that happened to him. And he, he won at Monza and like showed everyone that he doesn't care about what these people said about him or that they put him back in that um, Toro Rosso Afotori. Um, he's still killing it. And, you know, like the confidence he's built since, like ever since he's um, been put back in Afotori, it's, it's insane. It's, amazing to watch how he's grown from it and just inspiring as a person to be honest and yeah I think that's like what really made me like him and support him a lot and then of course I don't know his soundtrack performance obviously too so yeah I think that's the reason what made you put together that little magazine you put together because that looked really cool Thank you. Um, so I was like, you know what? Um, I'm gonna go to a race. I might meet Pierre and I would like to thank him for, I don't know, just, you know, being who he is as a driver and as a person. And I thought about making a fan book first because I have a lot of friends who also um, like Pierre, but I was like um, thinking about it and realized that this is something he gets a lot. Um, um, a lot of people have made fan books for him already. So I thought I would come up with something different, maybe more enjoyable for him to read and not just like 100 messages of why he's the greatest and thank you and stuff like that, just a bit more uh, entertaining. So um, I don't know, I just got inspired 
um, on Pinterest about someone like someone did this magazine thing with their friends. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make that book here and sat down and I actually finished the whole thing in one sitting. It was like five hours or something. <laughs> I just, yeah, I was, I was actually supposed to do something for school right on my dissertation, but of course the magazine <laughs> was more important. And uh, yeah, I was, I was just, my creativity was insane at that point. So I was like, I'm gonna make this um, unique and just rememberable. And he's always gonna remember me as the one fan who made him that magazine. And I could still like put in my message towards him in there. And yeah, that was the most important part for me. And I like let it print from some company and I took it with me. And well, I'm, I'm, I worked pretty hard to get it to him. And a lot of my followers helped me out with that. And I'm so grateful, honestly, just because I think if, if um, I didn't have that big of a, um, I would yeah, follow account basically on Twitter, I think this whole thing would have never been possible. Like all the support I got from these people and wanting me to meet him and just so interested in the whole story. It's just amazing to see and insane because, you know, I'm just a fan like every other <laughs> person on Twitter. And seeing this support from one fan to another is just incredibly beautiful. And yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where people, especially among sports, people in the sports community, where if we see someone who kind of feels the same way we do about something, even if it's not about the same person or team, we can understand it. And we want, we all want the same thing. We want to see our team or our driver or our, our golfer, our tennis player, whatever our person is, we want to see that person do well. So we can all empathize with each other where we just want to see our favorite person do well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's just um, amazing also like on the positives from F1 Twitter, how um, we are as a community, how we like, I think um, we sometimes need the reminder that we all here for the same thing. Like you said, we just need to help each other out. And like I said, I don't think anything of, or like a lot of things would have been possible if there wasn't that many people standing behind me and trying everything in their power to make me meet Pierre, you know? Yeah. It's a really good community. The people I've met, I've interacted with, it's a really welcoming and inclusive place where as long as you're like not being rude to anyone, anyone will answer questions for you. They'll help you understand things more. And it's been a really one of the few positive spaces on the sports Internet, because in a lot of places, it's pretty hostile and vitriolic. So the fact F1 Twitter is so kind and welcoming to people it's a really nice thing that the sport has. It has things it needs to improve on, obviously, when it comes to social media and using it and how some people use it and ruin it for everyone else. But the people I've interacted with have been nothing but nice to me. Before I get you out of here, you got to plug the Twitter handle. You got to plug the Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, I'm Formulina. <laughs> Wait. Uh, you, yeah. it's a good handle too it fits it, it, it really is yeah. your it's your essence on the nose yeah honestly it's so funny because um i made that um username or like came up with it before i realized that a lot of people started with their username something with formula i don't know whatever their name is um and i was like you know what i'm just gonna come up with something 
funny. Oh my God, Formula One, Formulena. Sounds catchy, sounds funny. I'm gonna make that my username. And yeah, it just, it's just my thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. And I guess other people like it too. So that's fine. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I don't have a lot of friends who enjoy Formula One. So this was nice. I got to get some thoughts out of my head. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored, to be honest. And I was, I was looking forward to this for the past days. And it's just nice to be able to talk to someone about this and especially on a podcast like that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good plug that's a good note to go out on i want to thank lena for stopping by tomorrow we will be going back to the wonderful world of hockey josh Califin is stopping by we're going to unpack all of the stupidity the rangers are doing i will see you guys then have a good one